Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Michael Lockstampfor. If you're listening to this on the week that it's published, then you might be surprised as I am that this Sunday is Easter. I really can't believe how quickly time's gone by this year. But I do want to invite you to join us this Sunday on April 16th as we celebrate Jesus' victory over death and sin. We're starting the morning at 8.45 with a breakfast out on the lawn, and we're setting up a photo booth so your family can remember this celebration this year. Then we'll be having our worship celebration at 10 a.m., and we would love to worship with you. Visit our newly renovated home on the web, ocalagrace.org, for directions and for more information. As we look back on our gathering this week, we're reminded that God's promise in the book of Exodus was to deliver his people in order that they would serve him. God has more in mind for our salvation than just a ticket out of bondage. He wants to show us a full and fulfilled life following him. Pastor Todd McQueen will demonstrate that often God has to remind us of what he's already done in the past so that we'll remember him and what he wants to do today. Let's look together at this familiar story in Exodus chapters 13 and 14 and remember God's deliverance for Israel and for us today. Yeah, I see that. Does we have anybody in here that's incredibly scared of snakes? You. Yeah, she's not here, but yeah, Joanne doesn't like them. I grew up with a mother who was, one time she was pulling me on, she lead me on a horse ride, and she saw a snake, and me, and she drugged the horse and me away, because she's so deathly afraid of snakes. So you have these kids looking out that window, that might be a little tough for some people to watch, but imagine those snakes are stacked up about three foot tall, and somebody says, hey, follow me, we're going to walk right through these snakes. How many would you volunteer to get in line for the rattlesnake roundup that had that going on? Frank would do it. Sometimes when we think of crossing the Red Sea, it's just that cool part because we know how it ends. Imagine there's an enemy behind you like we did with the kids, and there's an army coming after you, and all you see is a sea. It would be as absurd to think you could walk across that, walk through that sea as it would be, hey, let's go to Texas for a rattlesnake roundup and have three foot of them, and let's walk through the middle of them. So by God's hand, we're going, we are saved to follow Jesus with an act of faith. Active faith. Follow Jesus through the snake pit, and he says, follow me. You have to... Put your shoes on and walk. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 13 this morning. Starting in verse 1, we'll go to verses 1 and 2, then we'll jump to verse 11. Exodus chapter 13. Starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Move to verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, 
You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark on your hands and on your frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord has brought us out of Egypt. So right on the heels of battle number 11, the Passover, the death of the firstborn, right on the heels of the firstborn of the man of beast dying, God once again stops traffic on I-75. He wants everyone to remember this battle, the firstborn, and dedicate it to God. Remember, we read this morning God's promise to Abraham. Real early in the story, Genesis. What does God promise to Abraham? Of which, you're going to make it to the promised land. I'm going to give you this land. And I want you to remember this. I want you to take the time at every birth to remember what I've done for you. At every birth, take the time out and remember what I've done. Remember last week we studied God really likes to party. And he had rules for the party. Now he's adding to it. Not only we got the party, but every time a birth happens, I want you to remember me. God's in the business of saying, remember me. Just last Sunday, we celebrated God's work and communion. And what did Jesus say in Luke twenty-two nineteen? 19? Do this in? Hey, this is an ongoing thing. Have a feast. Get together. Remember what God has done to, for you in redeeming you and buying you out of bondage. So why the process of buying things back? Why the process of, you know, having to do this? It's logical. So when your kids ask, those around you ask, when somebody asks you, why are you heading back to church on a Sunday evening for communion, what do you say? Hey, I get to celebrate what God has done. So when your kids ask, hey, why do we got to buy back? How much did you pay for my older brother? That had been fun. Imagine Riley asking Camden. <laughs> Why'd you do that, Dad? He says, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly, stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn, both man and beast. This is the mark of the Exodus story on the family's life at the first birth. Every time of birth. What marks your salvation story? Israel gets to celebrate this story. What is it about your life when God got his hands on you, got a hold of your earlobe and said, hey, I want you to follow me. How do you celebrate that? How's that marked on your life? Because God's like, hey, make marks on your life to remember what I have done. Anybody that's raised kids, you can tell them what to do, and 15 minutes later, they'll forget. Tell a teenager, and they may remember 20 minutes later. Tell me, and my wife says, I never remember. 
God says, remember what I've done. So Exodus 13, 3 through 10, God wants you to celebrate. He's going to re go over what we studied last week. During the Exodus story last week, remember, God stopped the traffic. And he says, I want you to party. I want you to celebrate. I want you to hold a feast, memorializing my victory, God says. Celebrate to remember. Have a party. Enjoy. Feast with the symbols of God's redemptive work. Remember God's hand in victory. Remember the day of redemption. For a strong hand, the Lord brought you out. Remember that God kept his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The day of God's promise to Israel, to us, to his people, you can take to the bank. And that check doesn't bounce. He's made promises to you too. We read John 14 this morning. What was Jesus' promise? Hey, I leave. See y'all. I'll send you a postcard when I get there. What did he say? I go in order to what? Prepare a place for you. Hey, y'all, I'm coming back. Either you're going to meet me there, I'm going to come back and get you all. Wow. That's like our Exodus story. Hey, Abraham, your kids are going to, you're going to have a bunch of kids, and they're going to go to the promised land. By the way, they're going to be enslaved, and I'm going to rescue them. But in the future, I'm preparing a place for them. It's the same with us. How do you celebrate that thought? How was that marked on your life? God keeps his promises. Move with me to Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them to by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, at least the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God says, follow me. Follow God's hand. Following is hard. We like to lead ourselves. How many of you have heard the saying, just follow your heart? It's about in every Disney movie. It's fine, Rachel. Just follow your heart. Except what's the Bible say about our heart? It's not so good. If you're going to use that for a navigation device, it's not going to point to true north. And God says, follow me. So he takes Israel in the most weird direction. Why? Because he knew that they wouldn't do well. If they went the way they thought they would go, they would see battle and flee. Hey, we do what we do with passion because we think we're right. Listen to this logic for a second. We do what we do because we think it's the right thing to do, and we're passionate about it, except our heart is wrong. Rarely do you hear somebody say, I'm really passionate about doing this, and it's a dumb idea. Because we think. 
think we got it. We, we figured this out. We thought through it. We're reasonable about this. But God says, hey, your heart is desperately wicked. Hey, I'm going to work on that. I want to retune you to me, to true north. I need you to follow me. I have your best interest at heart, O Israel. I have my best interest, your interest at heart, O Grace Church of Ocala. Follow me. Wait a second. We're heading toward that sea. This is a dumb idea. Come on. I have your best interest. The Philistines is not what you want to battle right now. Notice Moses keeps the word that Joe made them promise in the end of Genesis. Joseph, the great love story of God redeeming a family. How long ago was that? We studied that last week. 400 years. So good thing they mummified in Egypt. What was God's promise that he made through Joseph right there? Surely the Lord will take you out. 400 years. By the way, would you guys mind taking my bones with you? I like this too because, you know, God has led him in an unlikely direction. He's led him to the Red Sea. So now we have recently escaped slaves with no military experience carrying swords. I love the humor of the Bible. Those who are in the military, the last, you don't get your weapons first off the bit, rip. So here they are carrying weapons. Da, 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 da. There's a whole army coming after them, but they want to add their two cents. At least we got, I got a club. How many times do we follow God and want to add our two cents to the mix? God, I'm following you, but let me add something to this. I got my sword. So how does God, the great I am, when Moses is saying, hey, God, why should I go do this? What, who am I going to say is, calling, is, is sending me? What does God say to Moses? The great I am. I am is present. I am is here. God is revealing himself to Moses, to the people, is saying, I'm here. How did he represent himself? How was I am present to Pharaoh in these 11 battles? That you shall know that I am the Lord your God. What is happening now in the story? How is I am present? Fire? At night, wouldn't that be pretty cool? Going through the Ocala National Forest with a big old fire beacon in front of you? In the daytime? Well, not if it's wet. It's not going to catch on fire. I know what you were thinking. But I am is present. I am is literally present. You can look and see it. Israel can look and see it. But who else can see it? We think I am is present for Israel, and that's big stuff. But who else can see this? Pharaoh and all of his dudes. He's here. I am is on the scene. The following God's hand is risky. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14 with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pharaoh between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Following God has risks. We can celebrate God's hand, 
We can market our life following God's hand instead of our heart. But man, following God's hand is risky. Following God sometimes it brings upon extraordinary risks. Israel, go camp by the sea, said no military leader ever. How are you following these risks in your world so the world can see? Because why did God have them do it? Underline it. The Egyptians shall know what? I am the Lord. God's telling a story through your extraordinary risks. How many of you like heights? Not me. Not at all. Can't think that's horrible for me. I don't even like looking at that picture. Follow God on the edge, Todd. Huh? There's a risk there that could be deadly. But God is in the process of working out this battle plan that still exists. The battle plan is go ask. It's going to be tough and there's going to be assured victory. But God is doing it so that the world knows, Israel knows. And by the way, reputation is going to go ahead of Israel. That God is who he says he is. See, rescuing us from sin is just the first step. God has rescued Egypt from the bondage of slavery, right? That's just the first step. What's God saying now? Hey, I've rescued you. Now what? Follow me. Follow me where it's risky. Friends, God rescuing us from our sin condition is the first step. Following Jesus is not a transaction at the spiritual ATM. God says, I rescue you from sin, now follow me. So the world may know what? Who's God telling his story to? Through you. To whom? Your neighbor, your coworker, the goofy guy at work, the person down the street that cannot stand you. Your kids. Because it's marked your life, and you're doing things to remember what God has done. And they're asking, Mom, what are you doing? This is goofy. There's risks. Move with me to verse 5. There's going to be a tax. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel with the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped it by the sea of Pi-Haroth and in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after him, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, Stop there. Following God's hand includes attacks. There's going to be risks, and you need to follow them and not your heart, but there's going to be attacks. The Egyptians are like, why do we let them go? That was a dumb idea. There goes our entire workforce. In spite of 11 battles that they've watched God fight, for some reason, battle number 12, they say, we've lost all 11 before, let's do it again. The enemy is after God and what God loves. What does God love? At the end of the book of John, Jesus says, do you love me then what? 
Huh? Follow me by feeding my sheep. What does Jesus ask Peter to love? If Jesus says to Peter, love me, you love me? Yeah, then love those I love. God says, hey, I love these people and I've showed myself to them in a miraculous way. So the enemy, enemy thinks what? Those are what he loves. I'm going after them. I like this. They feared greatly. That's incredibly reasonable. Frank, you got a BB gun and here comes the Green Berets after you out of a Black Hawk helicopter. You're stranded up against the beach. You would fear greatly. It's time to go. That's reasonable. They cried out. They cry out to the Lord. I would too if it was the Green Berets and I'm on the beachhead. By the way, Pharaoh gets his chariots. Think Abram's tank. That's how he ruled. The chariot was a game changer. So there's Frank and I on the beach, up against the ocean, and here comes an Abram's tank with a Black Hawk dropping off all of the special ops from the army. We're fearing greatly. But why? What's God doing? To tell the world what? Oh, Frank and Todd are really good at combat? No. We try, though, wouldn't we, Frank? Our BB guns would shoot. We would fear greatly. Then we would cry out. We would cry out to the Lord. That, I love that. That is true. God is not scared of you being scared. God is not surprised that they cry out. When times are rough and the trial's ahead of you and you're backed up against the sea and here are these formidable forces against you, where do you go to? Facebook? No, 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 careful there. Cry out to the Lord. He's orchestrated your path so that at this point that you would cry out. Now, how do you cry out? Let's see how they cried out. Verse 11, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight you. Fight for you. And you only have to be silent. Forgetting whose hand you're in during the trial. So they cry out to God. Their cry must have been, God, you're incompetent. You have showed yourself powerful up to this point, and I no longer trust you. You can keep all the bugs over here, none over here. You can keep all the disease over here, and none over here. You can even keep a spotlight of 10 million halogen bulbs over here, and none over here. But we get to this point, you've lost the ability to control my circumstances. So when they're fretting over their circumstances about where they're in, who do they take it out on? Moses. 
bitter sarcasm, biting sarcasm. Were there no graves for us in Egypt, Moses? Did they run out of real estate for the cemetery plots in Egypt, Moses? Friends, it's hard for me to share this, but Pastor Matt and I love you. Pastor Ryan, Pastor Michael, love you. We understand that when hurting people caught in some circumstance, the first person they're probably going to take it out to is a spiritual leader. We get that. But it doesn't make these words hard. Moses is a feisty dude. Can you imagine that meeting where they yelled at him like this? And what Moses would have done if he hadn't had 40-plus years of discipleship as a shepherd dealing with sheep, how he would have responded? We would have taken that staff that's done all this cool stuff and see if it would have knocked sense into people. So there's biting sarcasm. And what else is there? Eulogizing the past. Oh, it was much better when we were in Egypt, said a bunch of slaves. Friends, when we lose sight of whose hand we in, our mouth becomes a venomous pit of that which people have led us, men are leading us, there's other people working in your life to disciple you, and the first part that one of them we do is when we get hurt by our circumstances that hurt those who are leading us. Then we seem to think that when we were in high school, things were better. We seem to think if we could just bring Reagan back, it would all be better. Why I wouldn't hit too close to home. The past was what it was. And we, it really, do you look at this scripture and not have a hard time laughing? They're yelling at Moses on the edge of the sea saying, it was better for us back there. Can you imagine him saying, for what? You're, you don't even have any clothes. You're a slave. I just let, you just left. For real. So what does Moses respond? How does he respond? Fear not. Remember, I said it was reasonable. Fear not, he says. You are fearing your current circumstances more than the God of the previous 11 battles. Don't fear your circumstances more than what the God is that's in control of them. Stand firm. Take your place. Yes, the battle rages. Take up arms. That's why we read Ephesians 6 this morning. All the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. And what does Paul say to the Ephesians to do in the midst of the spiritual battle that's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces? What does he tell them to do? Stand firm. Take your stance. Lock arms with the brother and sister in Christ next to you and take your stance on that field. Do not coward your way out of that. God is in control. Lock arms with another person that's in your battle mate, your battle buddy in this fight that we call spiritual warfare. By the way, we don't get a good view of it all the time. Fear not. God is in control. He's got you. Your circumstances are rough, but stand firm in that battle. Put on that armor, stand firm, then see God's salvation. Are you so introspective, so worried about your circumstances, you can't see what God's going to do? Fear not, stand firm, and look for what God's going to do. 
It implies that Moses knew that God was going to do something. Are we in those circumstances where we say, God, this is really tough, but I can't wait to see how you're going to work this out. Who's doing the fighting? They brought some swords, but who's going to do the fighting? Moses, God fights for you. Move with me to Exodus 14, verse 19. Verse 19, then the angel of the Lord was going before the host of Israel, moved, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness and light, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. You're backed up against Moses. It's just said this, stand firm. The great I am is present. Look, you can see him. Stand there. Well, look. God's presence is leading them. And remember, the enemy also sees this. It's Frank and I on the beach. Abram's tank's coming our way. Special forces are coming for us, and nobody attacks at night. Frank and I are a little surprised. Why? Something is there that we can both see. God, in a miraculous way, said, I am present. We think sometimes we get jealous. At least Israel got to see. Miss Deb and I have a relative this week that said, she posted on her Facebook, if only God would sit at the end of my bed and tell me what to do, I would believe. What is she asking for? I want to see it. How many of you are jealous of Israel at this point? God, I'll follow you if you turn into a great big ball of fire and stand between me and my enemies. I do some, when I read this, I was a little bit, you know, God, you did some really pretty cool things for Israel. They could see you, and so could the enemy. So could the spiritual warfare that was going on, because that intersection wasn't just for people, the spiritual warfare, remember? But God says, hey, Israel, I've told you my story. I've done 11 battles. We've got one more to go through. Do you believe me? Remember, Moses just got done saying, fear not. Stand firm. Watch for what God's going to do. They needed reminded while that is there. God has done some amazing things right here in our midst that we need to celebrate and rejoice over and get together and have a mark on our lives and to say that is when that happened. God is present. God is doing some mighty things. And which is the mightiest thing he's done? Redeem people from bondage of sin and change lives. And then people are interacting with their community to tell others about it. That is amazing work. God is still working today. God is still leading and protecting. And by the way, our celestial enemies are taking notice. Moving forward by God's hand. Move with me to verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch your hand over the sea and divide it. 
that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians that they will go after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Flip to verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to the right of them, on the right hand and on their left. The Egyptian pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Moving forward by God's hand. Going forward is act of faith. Go and do, Moses. Lift up that staff and God will divide it. We have the luxury of being really familiar with this story. In fact, two people yesterday that have nothing to do with God joked about me preaching crossing the Red Sea today. Even they knew something about that. We know the end of the story, but imagine you're Moses. You got a bunch of squabblers behind you saying dumb stuff. They've just attacked you, and God says, hey, stretch your staff out over Lake Weir. What? So what did Moses have to do? Had to lift his staff. Then the people would say, I'm afraid of the water. Miss Deb and I went to the aquarium in Cincinnati where you get to walk through it. Have you guys ever been to one of them? Did you ever think how thick that glass is? How many of you thought that? Yep, me too. Imagine you're a recently freed slave from Egypt. You've never seen glass like this, and they don't have aquarium like this. You know there had to be some discussion of this is nuts. Who vacuumed the seafloor to get that? That is scary. There's an aquarium on my right. We're going down through the middle of Lake Rear. You know there's a 40-foot hole in the middle of this thing? Yeah, I've seen it on my fishing graph. Well, we're walking across it today. I ain't going in. Whoa, wait. Dude, you're going to die. God's asking us to take risky steps of faith in following him. Our faith is just not going to sit here on this seashore and say, God loves me. No, God's saying, get up and go, boys. Get up and go, ladies. Get up and grab your children and all your livestock because we're going to have a feast in the wilderness so that they may know that God is who he says he is. The hardened hearts of the enemy is going to pursue him. We know this. But God says, I will get glory over Pharaoh, all his hosts, all of his chariots, and all of his horsemen. Frank and Todd, settle down. I'm getting glory over that Abram's tank because your BB gun is nothing for an Abram's tank. 
At this point in time, your BB gun is just a joke. Only way this battle is going to be won is through God. He will be the only one to get glory for it. This moving forward is crazy. It's wild. It's steep actions of faith. The result is that only God can get the glory. There's no room in this story to say, anybody to say on the seashore, look what I did yesterday. How many times have God worked amazing ways in our lives we'd like to sit back and say, well, that worked pretty good. God did some great things. Yeah, my wife and I prayed for that. All of a sudden, we're starting to take a little bit of the credit. All the glory goes to God. So in verse 21, Moses moves. The staff is lifted. Battle number 12 starts, and faith is put into action. The sea divides. Look at that. they got the wall on the right and the left. They're going through this boundary again. Look what God has done with nature, with creation, to illustrate himself. All the rules are messed up. We've talked about this before. Miss Rachel works in the medical industry. Outside, who in the world can set up boundaries for anthrax? We can keep it in a bottle and keep people all like in these super suits. You guys are on the farm. God sets up this pen only for flies and locusts. You would walk outside and go, Mr. Tyler, I don't know (laughs) what's in what we ate last night, but there's a pen full of flies and locusts out there. And they're stuck in their spot. God has showed himself by setting up boundaries. This boundary is really pretty cool because who's the boundary for this time? To continue the idea, Israel. Who is it not for? The Egyptians. There will be people that are envious of what God's doing on your life and come chasing after you, and it can go bad for them. God has boundaries. God has distinctions. He says, party in my rules. Come to remember me. Get together and celebrate this. Do this in remembrance of me. There's rules for this. Chase in after what God wants you to remember without having a heart that's matched with his is deadly business. So salvation is by God's hand. Move to verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Thus God saved Israel that day. Saved. He redeemed them. He bought them from slavery. He brought them through. He carried them along. Friends, the Exodus story is a process, not a transaction. Do you see this? On what day did he save them? What battle number are we at? Wait. Is that right, John? No, right here. Twelve. But God's been evidencing himself to them. He's been wooing them to himself this whole time. The day in which he saved them is a result of an interaction with him. Will you follow me in faith, God is saying. I want you to, I'm going to rescue you that you may what? Serve me. Do you see where this is a process? 
God saved Israel that day. God is working with Israel that day for everybody to see, for his reputation to go forward. And what did Israel have to do? They had to put blood on the house. Right? They had to have a feast as God directed. They didn't get to make up the feast rules themselves. That had to be roasted. It couldn't be boiled. They had to leave home. They had to follow God to the water's edge. They had to stay in the camp that night. Rami, imagine keeping teenagers in the camp at night. Pastor Michael, you've been camping with all them kids. Y'all stay in the camp tonight. Don't go out and mess around. Stay in the camp tonight. Now walk through the sea. Faith is active. Israel had something to do. There's going to be casualties. What do they get up the next morning to celebrate their victory? What are they, what's, what's happened? What's on the seashore? It's macabre. It's nasty. This has got to be worse than any NCIS show. There's thousands of people laying on the seashore bloating. There's casualties to this war. Because Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Choosing who you will follow is a result of active faith. Which means if you choose not to follow, there are ramifications for not following. And you get to see this carnage. Following God's risky. Following God is with his hand, not our heart. And he's going to take us in amazing spots that give us moments to remember him and to celebrate those. But there's also the honesty of the Bible. Hey, there's going to be casualties in this spiritual war. And those are going to hurt. There is a literal God who has literal enemies, believe it or not. They're going to be judged. And you'll see, you will, may see some of those consequences. But Israel saw the great power that the God had used. The 12 battles, this is some amazing power, isn't it? The God of creation who could say, light is also when it says, put up an invisible shield for bugs, disease. Hail, light. Israel saw that. We get to read about it and recount it. Now the fear of God's people. Why are they afraid? This is a, this is a different fear than, oh my goodness, we're going to get killed by all these people behind us. This is the fear of, whoa, that is my God and he can do that and he fights for me. That's my God. He fights like that, and he wants a relationship with me. Whoa. What's the fear of God's enemies? Uh-oh. That God is powerful, and he wins. The same powerful God elicits the same different kinds of fear, but it's the same fear of respect, free of, with admiration. We are like, oh, my goodness. 
If you know Jesus, whoa, there's going to be casualties. It's going to be rough. But I know he fights for me, and I have a ton of respect for him. Man, is he powerful. If you're an enemy and you're not following Jesus, this isn't going to end well. So they believed what God said is true. They believed his viewpoint on the matter. They believed his requests were valid for all the things he asked them to do. They believed in his demands. They're real. Now, as we close, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1 for just a second. Keep your thumb there. Oh, this moment, I, I should have thought about this more when you guys have the digital ones. Turn back one book, Jude. Who is it that rescued God's people from Egypt, according to Jude? Move to Jude, verse 5. Now I want to remind you, Jews, right? Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Stop there. What part of the Godhead is working in our story to this point? According to Jude, the Bible gets to have its own commentary on itself and we believe it to be true. Amen. Jesus is the one. Who has rescued you? Jesus. Is that true? Do you believe it this morning? How many of you is that big shocker that Jude says Jesus is the one that led him out of Egypt? Jesus saves. Who did he save in our story today? Israel. By doing what? He bought them from slavery. He redeemed them. And it cost life. It cost the lamb its life. Why? Because God says so. We're getting ready to go into Easter. Jesus is the same God who rescued the people of Israel, is the same one who rescues us because what we're going to celebrate next weekend. Go, say, go with this good news. The Exodus story that even my neighbors know and want to make fun of know the Exodus story. And I'm like, you're so fun. That's so cool. I couldn't wait to tell them. Yeah, it's just, Jesus did that. So by God's hand, we are saved to follow Jesus with an act of faith. What does that look like this week? Invite one person for next Sunday. Share the good news. This can be hard to invite. One card, one invitation. Invite one person. Remember, it was risky following God's hand. Remember, it's don't trust your own heart with this. Well, I'll tell them next week. 
Today is the day of salvation. Today is when we're going to mark our lives next Sunday with Easter, and we're going to throw a party. It's a good time. It's a great celebration. It's worth sharing. Were you willing to risk your relationships, build a relationship so you can hand them that card and say, hey, we're having breakfast, and you like to eat because we eat that a lot together. Invite one person for next Sunday because Jesus has saved us so that we can follow him in an act of faith. Let's be active this week. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and his word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.